Hey everybody, welcome to episode 18 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, and with me as always is SCG standout Collins Mullen. Hey Collins. How's it going? Not bad, not bad. Uh, how was, uh, what was this weekend? This weekend was uh, standard GP Atlanta, how was that? Yeah, so I went to Atlanta and I was pretty bent on kind of like continuing my trend from DC and playing a deck that beats up on Teamer. <laughs> yeah, not a. I'd say good choice. Good. Uh, good yeah, concept I mean, you know, of the everywhere, so I think that's generally a good spot to be as long as you have a reasonable game against the rest of the decks. And I ended up playing a blue-white Drakehaven deck. It's the blue-white cycling deck. It's been popping up a lot recently on Magic Online. Not a lot on Magic Online, but it's it's got like a few 5-0s that have showed up. It ate to the Pro Tour, so I figured that there was definitely something there, and I tested with it, and it felt really good, and I was beating Teamer Online. So, so your list was kind of the standard thing that's been showing up, which is the good blue and white cycling cards for Drake Havens, like two Abandoned Sarcophagus, a couple of Search for Azkantas, uh, and some Fumigates, or did you do anything weird with it? Yeah, I didn't really do anything weird with it. Um, it's just playing, like, it's a main deck, like, control-y deck with mm-hmm. a win-con of Drakehaven, it felt like. Yeah. Playing sweepers and, like, a few removal spells between cast out and farm to market as, like, a, an additional removal spell. And then it just kind of, like, you know, sweeps the board, plays Drakehaven, takes over the game with a bunch of drakes. Is kind yep. of, like, generally the, the philosophy of, of how the game plays out. And I thought it was pretty good, but playing it at the tournament, I just kind of began to realize that I had overestimated my teamer matchup. Ooh, that's not great when it's a meta choice for beating teamer. Right, yeah, exactly. You know, like, I played the deck because I thought it was a good meta choice for for beating teamer, but it turns out, you know, the teamer matchup is still just, like, 50-50. It felt like post-board, they just have insane tools. Uh, the decks that are playing Vraska are very, very good against Cast Out, and... Drake Haven, so that was a huge problem card. Negates out of the sideboard to just like hit that key sweeper can sometimes just end the game. I think that I kind of missed a little bit this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have any sweet, sweet sideboard tech of like uh, Oblivion Sower or a bunch of Regal Caracals or anything like that. But I, I do like the like decision making process that I made going into the event. But I think that I, I guess I like under, underestimated Teamer a little bit and got punished for that. I was I was beating Teamer a fair amount, but I definitely like got some losses to it that were just like, you know, shouldn't be happening if if my decision to play the deck is based on my my matchup against Teamer. But leading up to the tournament, you were doing well against it online, and so you got kind of tricked, I guess. Yeah, um, and I think that might have been just like a consequence of like playing Magic online and outplaying some people online that I just aren't gonna play like that on, at a Grand Prix stage. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, I was playing against a bunch of Teamer players online and beating them all because they, like, hadn't seen the matchup before and, you know, didn't quite know how to assess everything. So my win rate online was, like, very good, but as soon as I, like, started playing against some some really good Grand Prix players, you know, later in day two or whatever, then the wheels kind of started to fall apart a little bit. Which is interesting because, like, a lot of my experience in Modern in particular is the opposite of that. I've played a bunch of humans online in Modern, and I've lost a bunch with humans online. <laughs> For some reason, whenever I take that deck to a tournament, it, it's the opposite experience of that. So 
It's funny how sometimes Magic Online, uh, maybe it's just format dependent. I, in my experience online, players who play Eternal formats on Magic Online are really, really good. But Standard has like a bunch of people who are you know practicing for the Grand Prix that they're about to go to or whatever. So the, the skill level might be a little lower on average. Yeah. I wonder if that's a result of the buy-in on Magic Online or something like that. Because it's relatively yeah, it easy be. to build a Standard deck now. Yeah, this, the buy-in for standard is is like super super low, especially on Magic Online. You can it, like if you want to just like buy a standard deck online, it might only cost you like 150 tickets or whatever. Well, I've got white scratch. blue cycling up, and it costs all of 73 and a half tickets on. on right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, but that kind of like summed up my Grand Prix experience. Uh, I made day two at six and three, and then I went three and three on day two to miss a pro point. Not, not exactly what I wanted, but those, you're going to have tournaments like that. And that's too bad, because even at that point, like every pro point kind of counts for you right now, depending on how you do at, at the next at the PT. So Yeah, I was yeah. really gunning for that pro point. You know, like I was X and 5 going to the last two rounds, and I had to win out to get a pro point to lock bronze, and, uh, and immediately lost. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I think that was actually like the first Grand Prix that I played in where I'm like, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm dead for cash or anything like that, but these pro points really actually matter to me a lot. So, uh, you know, I have a big incentive to continue playing. That was, uh, that was kind of cool. I think that, you know, it was kind of like my first experience into like that side of the Grand Prix where it's just kind of like, all right, you know, this one's just going to be to pick up some points and, you know, move on, move on from there. It's kind of like, you know, my experience in Tournament Magic a lot has been the, you know, the Star City Games side of things where, you know, you're getting Star City points, but this is kind of like, you know, okay, now I have potential to, like, maybe get some pro status going. So that's that's pretty fun, actually. Yeah, yeah. And that partially that's an artifact of the creation of that bronze category because, you know, just that one point locking yes, it in would definitely. have been really cool. Yeah. Definitely. Just 10 pro points is now all of a sudden, you know, our PTQ qualifications for a year, uh, which yeah. is definitely non-zero value for sure yeah that's that's real nice even if you knew that you could qualify for each rptq like like you probably can like if you really wanted to and you just went to pptqs for several weekends until you queued but like that's a serious investment of time and entry fees and stuff so yeah that's there's real value to being bronze yeah definitely definitely so i, I still have a bunch of opportunities there's like eight months left in the season you know, if I if I have a winning record at the Pro Tour that I go to, then I'm bronze. So mm-hmm. you know, still still a lot of opportunities to uh, to 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 get there. Pretty excited. Yeah, about it. I mean, you'll get there. I mean, <laughs> there. There's more GPS. There's there's a PT. Like I I have I have faith. I have confidence in you. Excellent, excellent. Uh, so that's kind of my you know the the brief recap of my Atlanta experience. Cool. Outside of that personal experience, I mean, there's a there's a surprisingly large amount of standard to talk about for a week after a pro tour in a pretty developed format. Three GPs this past weekend, lots of different kind of cool decks, and definitely some movement in the format. You know, it's not just like, oh look, Saltai is now the best deck because it beats up on Teamer. Like, that's definitely not what happened. Yeah, I mean, I do want to talk a lot about standard. I think that, in general, the format is still feels a little... So in, on one hand, it feels solved, right? We, we've got Teamer Energy and the four-color energy decks that are all doing very, very well. We've got a bunch of red decks that are con- consistently 
you know, topping in Grand Prix and doing well, despite people mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, they might get hedged out by Teamer. You know, so that's kind of like one perspective of it. But then on the other side, it feels like kind of unsolved to me in the sense that nobody's really getting an edge, really. Everybody's like playing one of these decks. You know, a lot of the Teamer decks are kind of being like morphed into mirror-breaking Teamer decks, but mm-hmm. nobody's figured that out, really. So I think that if you... And this is actually going to be my goal for the next week, is that I'm fairly confident that I'm going to be playing some sort of energy deck this weekend in the team event. But I really want to figure out the best kind of like mirror strategy that exists yeah. in kind of like in all of those energy variants, be it, you know, Sultai energy with Winding Constrictor or like four color energy with Glint Sleeve Siphoners and Gontis or something like that. Or if it's just straight up teamer with, you know, Riverfrost Rebukes or something in the sideboard. There's just like so many different takes that you can have on, you know, how you want your deck to be configured and what your plans are going to be for all of these matchups that you're expecting to face. Uh, I think that there's a lot of room to tune and adjust and, you know, kind of see where see where things are going from there. So do you think there's like a, you know, a better build to be found or something? Or are you just trying to find the right point in the sort of cyclical energy format like be on the right energy build for the weekend i guess is that what you're going for or, or what do you what are we talking about here i i'm not entirely sure where uh, like which one of those two categories i'm going to fall into um mm-hmm. i think that i'm definitely going to try to do one of those two things i was earlier this morning i was just kind of like okay so say i wanted to create a new energy archetype what are the cards that i want in there to be favored and the current decks that are being played right now. So I just kind of like, yeah. I was like, all right, I want, you know, Vraska's and Chandra's and World of Virtuosos. And I was just kind of like building it from scratch, right? Instead of being like, okay, here's the team or shell. How do I want to modify it? I was just like, okay, what are the cards that I want in, you know, in this format to, to be fighting against the players that we see in this format? And, you know, right. I haven't finished that. And I think that it, it it's either going to be kind of like its own weird build or it's going to end up looking very similar to one of the iterations of an energy deck that already exists. So I'm not really, I'm not entirely sure where on that spectrum I'm going to fall, but mm-hmm. um, that's kind of the idea behind what I'm going for here. Yeah, kind of hard to come up with a brand new combination because almost every combination you could possibly think of has had some success at the premier event level. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I don't expect to come up with some, you know, some groundbreaking thing, but it's it's, right, it's right. definitely going to look like uh, one of the infinite iterations of, of energy that we've already seen. It's just going to be the one that I believe to be, have, have the optimal configuration of cards for, for this particular weekend. Right. Yeah, and I wasn't saying that, like, to, to call you out or anything. I was mostly just saying, like, good lord, like, this mechanic is so powerful that every possible combination of a bunch of energy cards and some support cards has been a, a top eight level deck yeah and that's crazy format. it's been so long since we've seen players playing like not stock lists you know what i mean like in the past standards we've had like okay here's bant company and bant company has this main deck 75 or here's uh you know teamer marvel and teamer marvel pretty much has this stock you know 60 card main deck maybe there's a little innovation to be had in like sideboard cards or whatever but you, you generally know what their what their main deck configuration looks like. But with Teamer, it's all over the place. It's really crazy. People are playing... Nobody has come to a consensus on like what 5-drops you want to play. 
how many colors you want to have in your deck, whether or not you want to be playing Longtusk Cub or Siphoner, and how that affects your game plan. It's it's kind of everywhere, uh, which makes attacking it, I think, a little more difficult to a certain extent. It's, it's, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. It's very difficult to, to get a grip on where exactly the format is going to be, like whether you want your two drop to be Longtusk Cub or Siphoner. Like that's... Like it's it's tough finding your footing. It's like energy just gives you so many options, and you, you almost get paralyzed by choice if you don't just make a decision at some point. Right, right, yeah. And I feel like currently, at least this morning, I was definitely paralyzed by choice. Right, uh, you know, and I, I have you know definitely a couple of days to to just like you know sit down and think about it and see if I can come to a logical conclusion. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's everywhere at the moment. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. And so what's happening now, you know, with, with three GPs to look at, we got a bunch of different decks. I think Teamer Energy, you know, there's a lot of energy decks. I think Teamer Energy is still kind of the the big dog. And then kind of an evenish split. I think leaning a little more towards the kind of clean three-color Teamer shells that are really heavy on Glorybringers and Confiscation Coups as their fives. And then still a fair number of the four color, like quote unquote four color that really have black just for for Vraska and Scarab God. But we also saw a couple of the Jabberwocky style Logan Nettles four color build. I think one of the top eight decks in Atlanta was that with the Gontis and that sort of thing. Gontis and Clint Sleeve Siphoners, like the deck that's just splashing red for Harness Lightning and Whirler Virtuoso. You know, the, the teamerish energy decks really did well this weekend. There was some Sultai around, but the like Seth Manfield style, I, I guess kind of silly to call it Seth Manfield style deck when it was his deck was almost identical to the Jessup Brothers deck from week one of this standard, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, so that, despite winning a Pro Tour last weekend, had, or maybe because it won a Pro Tour last weekend, had not a ton of success this weekend. Yeah, I think that people were definitely uh, at least more familiar with that deck. And, you know, so, so much content had been done on that deck over the course of the mm-hmm. week that, you know, players knew about it and kind of like knew the angles to attack it, where that probably wasn't the case at the Pro Tour players might have been yeah. taken a little off guard by it yeah and a little harder like we were talking about after that week one deck I, I think the quad blossoming defense deck gets a little bit worse if everybody knows your list yes yeah for sure blossoming defense is definitely one of those cards that you don't want your opponent respecting right so you know uh and i i definitely found that out online where you know i was playing teamer a little bit earlier this week and it's just so obvious when your opponent has a blossoming defense uh, that you, <laughs> you know it's 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 like it's actually crazy. Like you you play against them and they're like you know okay they they've got uh, black green fast lands and they're playing cub and if you ever could see constrictor then it's just like immediately obvious that it's in their deck and just like the play patterns that exist like around them if if they ever do anything that holds up a green mana it's just it's just very obvious that you know that's a card that you can do so I've I've been able to like sculpt a lot of game plans with teamer around being like okay. I'm going to make this double block that I get blown out by Blossoming Defense, and then they'll use it, and then I'll be able to untap and, you know, use my removal spell and clear the board a little bit. You know, it's definitely, you know, because I know about that, and it's it's so easy to tell when they have it, it's losing a lot of equity, I think. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Like, pump spells in Standard are, are great when it's a big ol' surprise, but 
the the stronger your opponent is if he knows that your deck has those in it, it becomes really really difficult to leverage unless you're providing like those must kills like hostage taker and stuff once you, once you can't really play around the blossoming defense anymore but uh right 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 for sure i i think the games don't actually get to that point that often it's so hard to protect your hostage taker with blossoming defense because the the decks are pretty good at getting on the ground pretty quickly so mm-hmm. you know you have to wait till turn five to play your hostage taker then and right. generally you're playing a little off curve anyways since you have the blossoming defense that you like if your opponent ever just like you know doesn't run into it it's really you're just losing a lot of equity by having to hold it up every turn right right like like you get into a spot where you're like okay well i can protect my guy from a removal spell and then they play a glory bringer and then they know you have blossoming defense up so they just start killing you with their glory bringer instead of bothering (laughs) to kill your creatures and and you've lost so much tempo by wasting a mana like three turns in a row that yeah, honestly, I think that given that knowledge, the best way to play Blossoming Defense is just to like never leave it up until you finally get your opponent like later in the game. But then mm-hmm. that's just pretty off plan for trying to get him dead pretty quickly, right? You know, you're if your if your plan is to utilize that you know one mana tempo advantage in like the first four turns of the game to put yourself really far ahead, which is why Blossoming Defense is historically very good. And you're turning that into just like maybe I'll save a guy later in the game it, when holding up the mana is just free. You're just losing so much equity on that card that it's almost just you know might as well be another creature at that point. Right, right. And and we're seeing you know like we were talking about last week the teamer builds that are just really heavy on Chandra's and glory bringers and stuff end up presenting too many value removal spells for a blossoming defense deck to deal with. And once you start taking apart that winding constrictor engine, the, the deck struggles if it's not actually getting value off of its value creatures. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They, that deck wins the majority of the time by, you know, doing very powerful things early in early in the game and mm-hmm. uh, closing out the game pretty quickly by, you know, getting in with a gigantic long dust cub or a walking ballista that got really big or something like that. They need to be able to enact that game plan, I think, in order to have success. Yeah, I definitely agree. So one thing that was really cool was uh, Ben Stark's red deck that he made the finals with. Uh, Yeah, I was super excited about that. There was a very interesting match that happened at the Grand Prix that I kind of like heard the feature match for, and I was like, this match has like relevance to me because it's uh, Ben Stark on kind of like his own newer red deck right that has like a lot of innovations and is playing treasure maps in the deck and it's pretty crazy versus brad nelson on like very stock his build of teamer for the weekend right Mm. and uh you know just the week leading up to this i'd written an article on you know sometimes it's better to play something that you think is inherently powerful but not necessarily the most popular decision right so i was like this is kind of like the strategy that i've been preaching a little bit versus the traditional Brad Nelson play the best deck kind of deal happening in this one right. match, and I thought that was cool. So it was, it was sweet for me that, that that Ben was able to win that match and make the top eight. Yeah, and this deck is super cool. And I, I mean, both of those strategies have merit. Like, Brad Nelson ended up in 10th, which is not particularly shabby. Oh, for sure, uh, for sure. And, and, and his brother and Corey made top eight with the same deck, so, you know, not a bad choice. Right. Um, but yeah, Ben Stark's deck is, is totally sweet. So it's a mono-red... Uh, I think somebody called it medium red. So not big red, not not a pure aggro deck, but sort of somewhere in the middle. A lot yeah. of the tools that the mono red aggro decks have in the a cup, you know, seven one drops and then rampaging Frostodons and carry Zebs, 
but trades out the high end for a very different sort of suite. He's actually running three Sand Stranglers, three Glorybringers, three Chandras. Uh, two of his shocks are even Magma Sprays, so this is a pretty controlling deck. And he's actually got two treasure maps in there, which is definitely the insane slot to me. I, I'm, sure yeah. I, I'm sure it worked, and it, it, it lets you grind out value in a way that Red is not really capable of. Mm-hmm. But yeah, cool to see that card in a top 8. Yeah, treasure maps just to like you know make sure that you're hitting like the right ratio of lands and spells early. I, I would have to believe that most of the time you're not playing this until you'd rather be playing your Karizev on turn two than your treasure map on turn two. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if this came down like later in the game and yeah. was just kind of like there to you know get incremental value to kind of like have the have that push to. To close out games that like the other red decks would have trouble with especially if you've got so many heavy hitters in your deck to find with like after you draw those extra cards like Glorybringer and Sandstringler and Chandra you know it, it definitely makes sense that if you're if you're going to play a card in your deck that is going to be digging for value in the late game and and you know scrying towards more powerful things that you you do have those powerful things in your deck it, it makes sense a little bit but definitely never something that I would have thought of yeah yeah, definitely. And and probably speaks to the fact that people are still not playing enough abrades if you can afford to run treasure map in your like mid-rangey to aggro oriented red deck. Yeah, abrade is one of those cards that has like there are a lot of artifacts that have somehow been able to survive through abrade formats like Godfarer's Gift and uh you know, there's still some teamer lists playing Sky Sovereigns and I guess Treasure Map as well is something that, you know, <laughs> these are still just kind of like doing it through Braid, which is which is interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I, I think like the feeling I get when I scroll through deck lists is mostly that like a lot of decks that are a lot of decks are still trimming maybe one more braid than they really should be. Mm-hmm. Uh just because it's kind of a an easy cut when you're trying to get a cool or powerful card in your deck. But I usually, I usually like having an abrade in my hand in a lot of different matchups. So <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think that a lot of the decks that had success over the weekend was were the decks that found slots for four abrades in the seventy five. But you know, maybe, yeah. probably not four in the main. But at least you know, if you look at Ben Stark's list, he had three abrades in main and then the extra one in the sideboard here. So I think that's definitely something that you you probably wanted to do if you're playing playing red. Yeah. So a cool thing. So I'm kind of struggling with how to talk about this, with like which cool thing in how this deck works to talk about first. Um, I think one of the things that stands out really clearly is the one main deck has her at the Fervent because, you know, you just can't afford to run all these expensive cards and and a bunch of Hazarets. I, I guess the one is just a, like, it won't be that bad if I draw one no matter what. In in the in the like super low curve decks, like drawing multiples isn't as bad because generally your hand is empty by the time you have two hazards in your hand, and then you can just play it, and then you know toss the other one at them, and then it's fine, right? But in this deck with like sand stranglers and glory bringers and chandras, you just like can't afford for your hand to have multiple hazards just because mm-hmm. you know they're going to be dead cards, and and you're not going to be able to throw away all of the four drops that are excess in your hand. So having one makes a lot of sense because it is super powerful. But it's uh, it's definitely interesting to you know it's definitely an interesting choice to see in these red decks when a lot of other decks are going up to four hazards in the main just because they've you know realized that that's the the most powerful card that they have access to and and it definitely is the most powerful card that most of them have access to but 
if this deck is designed more around Glorybringer, then Glorybringer may actually just be a more powerful card for this deck to have access to, since, you know, you kind of have higher mana costs, you're a little more removal heavy, that sort of thing. And if you just look at Ben's sideboard, I think that you actually kind of get a snapshot into his philosophy with this deck, which is really cool. Um, mm -hmm. We see some interesting choices, like he's got three Soulscar Mages in this main deck and the fourth in the sideboard, and he's yeah. got one Hazret in the main deck and two more in the sideboard. So you can definitely tell that he had kind of figured out his post-board configurations in a lot of matchups and then right. designed the main deck and the sideboard with that in mind, right? So you, you only ever see something like a Soulscar Mage in the sideboard of a deck where the pilot of that deck is super, super confident what their post-board configurations are going to look like and used those post-board configurations to actually design the main deck in the sideboard. Like, I'm sure that there are some matchups where he just wants to get under them, right? So he has to have that extra one-drop in the sideboard to be able to bring in to lower the curve of his deck, if that's, like, something that he's he's trying to do, right? You know, definitely seeing cards like that in the sideboard that are, like, you know, kind of, what 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 is this doing here? Um, I think that, you know, for me, that's a definite indication that he, he definitely had very, very good plans for the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sure that that... Like, the Soulscar Mage, the Rampaging Ferocidon, and the two Hazarets, like, tends to be a package that comes in. Take out a couple of removal spells, uh, and maybe an expensive spell or two, and then you're more equipped to be closer to the, the aggro red decks in the matchups where that's where you want to be. One other thing I like about cutting some of the Hazarets from the main deck is with the number of teamer decks that are running two or even three Confiscation Coups main decks, that Hazaret can be a liability in the teamer matchup, even though it's supposed to be pretty good in that matchup, but uh, if they've got coups, then... Because your teamer opponent starts hitting with a hazard, then the game's just over. <laughs> yes, that's not a winnable situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so definitely definitely super sweet uh, metagame choice here. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I think very, very effective against the Sultai kind of decks. Like, you don't want access to Sand Stranglers, Glorybringers, and Chandras unless you know that a lot of your opponents are being are going to be playing creatures that are valuable to kill with those those cards' abilities. Um, and the Sultai right, deck right, is definitely sure. one of those decks. Um, just a, a cool deck is... Uh, Okado Naoya, and I, I'm, I probably am completely butchering that. Top aided Shanghai with Grixis Thopters. Oh yeah, we'd be very remiss if we didn't talk about this deck. It was very interesting. <laughs> it's very sweet. So this is blue red splashing black for I think because the black splash is basically free in an uh, Aspire of Industry deck, but it's a blue red deck splashing black for a Scarab God. Uh, and some sideboard cards that pretty much just runs all the blue and red Thopter and Artifacty cards. There's a PNLR in here, four World of Virtuosos, four Maverick Thopterists, four Ether Swooper, which you won't even know what that. <laughs> if you played a lot of Limited and uh, Aether Revolt, then and then you'll know. But yeah, um, it's the best blue common. So it's uh, yeah. I mean, this deck looks looks very very interesting and kind of looking at it on a paper, I think that I can see why he had a good weekend. His matchup against red has to be very, very good because he's playing all of these cards that red players do not want to see. Magma Sprays, PNLR, Whirler Virtuoso, Maverick Thopterist. 
And he just has the ability to go over the top of a lot of the, the more grindy decks, right? He's playing Reverse Engineer, which is just a draw three. And I'm sure that he tapped some Thopters to just, like, you know, pay two mana and, and draw three cards, which is super insane. Yeah, yeah, just not a lot of raw card advantage in, in most of the decks in the format. Like, it's it's mostly about efficiency. Like, Glinsleaf Siphoner draws some cards. There are some Glimmer of Genius decks that aren't doing that well. But, like, Reverse Engineer draws a lot more cards than most people are capable of. Yeah, I mean, you know, definitely in this format, it's it's super, super grindy. So, like, if you know, if this, if this deck plays out against Teamer at all how the mirrors play out, which I think that is pretty likely, then, you know, the they're going to be trading resources and and then, you know, they're going to be pretty empty-handed. Maybe they'll have one or two cards in their hand when the dust settles a little bit. And if those mm-hmm. one or two cards for this player is like a draw three, then all of a sudden that's just insane value. And, you know, if you're drawing into things like Chandra's or Scarab God or a bunch of Thopters or whatever this has access to, then it seems pretty strong. I think at this point, now that we have Grixis Thopters, we've seen basically every possible construction of a token deck designed to beat Teamer. Because tokens are good against Teamer. Anything that makes tokens, I guess, deserves a look. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, attacking in the air with a bunch of flyers is something that's pretty strong. And particularly, I do want to talk about Inventor's Goggles in this deck. Yeah. Um, I think that that card is, like, definitely kind of flown under the radar a little bit and and people might be underestimating it, but you know this deck is all artificers except for a Scarab God. So if you if you're playing a creature and you have Inventor's Goggles in play that you turn played on turn one, then that creature is just big, right? So yep. it might look like on in paper that this you know this deck is playing a bunch of you know two twos and two threes or whatever, but these creatures can like brawl with a long tusk up sometimes, which is like pretty interesting, and and that's kind of a an element that Inventor's Goggles you know kind of creates in this deck. Uh, as well as the fact that it just it's kind of running the philosophy that like current black white vampires in draft philosophy where you know you're just playing this card that makes all of your little dudes that you're kind of getting for free more powerful and kind of like utilizing those cards like you know if you if you create two thopters right and then you happen to have two inventors goggles or something then you're just beating in the air for four every turn which is a yep. super fast clock so, you know, if you can stall up the ground or whatever and, and put yourself in a good racing position, then it seems pretty powerful. Yeah, and not to mention that it's a one-drop that uh, pays for your improvised spells, which is really handy. Yes, Inventor's Goggles and Maverick Thopterist have been best yeah. friends forever. So Yeah, um, yeah, that is a great yeah, combo. Definitely, definitely pretty good. And then the other crazy card that's in this deck that uh, helps it kind of like grind past everything else is the decoction module which is yeah just another very crazy thing to see you get energy whenever a creature comes into the battlefield so your your world of virtuosos now all of a sudden are kind of like acting at super speed where you know every other creature that you play almost kind of like creates another doctor for you if you have a world of virtuoso and additionally if you get to the late game you can just pay for mana and pick up your thopterist and play it again and make two thopters and trigger your decoction module for three more energy and make another thopter with whirler virtuoso so this deck looks like it can just go off and just really really have excellent grinding mechanics against a lot of people yeah i think so and think about these play patterns too like a turn two decoction module and turn three whirler virtuoso so you get an extra energy from the whirler virtuoso so you get four when it comes down then you pay three to make a token 
and you get another energy, so you, you're back up to two energy. Like, you're really close to making another Thopter already, and, mm-hmm. like, each Thopter gets discounted because it, it gives you an energy on the back end. Also, if you ever get, like, two Decoction modules out, like, then every Thopter from a World of Virtuoso is effectively costing you one energy, which is, which is a yeah, pretty good and, deal. and three is just infinite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's not legendary. I, 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 if that has to have happened at, at one point in this tournament, where he just like has three decoction modules and plays a Whirler Virtuoso, and it's just like, all right, uh, dudes, gotcha. go. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's it's great. I this deck is super cool. The one thing that is kind of, I guess, the black splash is just basically free because you're going to play Ether Hub anyways because it makes an energy and the. You know, there's a limited number of blue-red lands. Uh, you're going to play Spire of Industry because it's basically free in this deck when you have so many artifacts. Like, you know, playing Inventor's Goggles on turn one and you just have Spire of Industry as a is turned on. So I guess the black is free, but the only black cards are one Scarab God main deck and then one Battle at the Bridge and four Duress in the sideboard. Which, I mean, I'm a fan of Duress. I love Duress. But it is kind of crazy to me that those are the black cards in this deck. Yeah, I mean, the Scarab God makes the most sense, right? It's just, you you want to have access to that grindy card, and mm-hmm. a lot of games are just decided by the Scarab God. So that that does make sense to me. But but yeah, the, uh, the Battle of the Bridge and the Duresses in the sideboard, definitely interesting calls. Like, I guess Duress is just a card that he determined that he wanted in particular matchups. Like, I'm sure that he, like, played this deck without Duress and started losing to some control decks or something and, and wanted an extra kind of, you know, card there. Um, but the other yeah. interesting I have to thing, imagine though, the the Fumigate decks are very good against this when you don't have access to Duress, so... Right. But the other thing that's very interesting to note is that he's not running any Negates in the 75. Right. So it's interesting that he wanted to play Duress over Negate. Maybe he just figured that, you know, he wants to be tapping out most of the time, so he, he doesn't really want to have to hold up two mana, or that's just not something that's feasible. And he's also, he but he does have uh, Metallic Rebukes, three in the main and one in the sideboard, which is <laughs> definitely a card that is pretty easy to hold up for one mana uh, with this style of deck, right? Yeah, and it feels so awful when you get got by it. The Metallic Rebuke off of one mana? Oh yeah, it's it's really bad. Even if you know that yeah. they're Any, running Anytime it. that you're just like Glory Ringer and they like tap their blue mana and counter it, you're just like, oh, oh okay, that's really bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> but what what was your option? Like, they were going to hold up a blue for the entire game. Like, you can't not cast your Glory Bringer. You're just right. getting destroyed at that point. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll tap my blue mana and my Inventor's Goggles and my Decoction Module and counter your Glory <laughs> yes. Bringer. It's like, no! Yes, they're not, even, they're not even creatures. It doesn't right. even matter that they're tapped. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Or he's like, okay, in response, I'll pay three energy and tap my Inventor's Goggles and my new Thopter and my blue mana and right. counter everything. It's like, oh, okay, well, all right, <laughs> come on. That's very brutal. Yeah, I feel like this deck probably has a bunch of tricks that will get you if you have never played against it. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, yeah, definitely sweet. Honestly, the more that we talk about this deck, the more I'm like super hype about it. This deck seems very, yeah. very cool. Yeah, I'd give it a shot. The, the one Scarab God in it is, like, 40% of the deck's value, <laughs> which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Honestly, I, I might just make it another Sky Sovereign. Like, the yeah. Scarab God, 
it just seems kind of off plan a little bit. He, I think he's just playing it because it's a good card. It'll yeah. Be interesting. I, I mean, I understand like the one of Scarab God because it's never that bad to draw a Scarab God. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It it might just be correct in in the sense that yeah, if you draw, it's going to be great, and it doesn't matter what it, you have going on otherwise. So yeah, you might as well play one. Right. And it's it's just like a tragedy when you draw two Scarab Gods, but one is like eh, cool. Cool. I guess I just get to you know win this game now. <laughs> right. Sometimes right. If you, like rip it late or whatever. I mean. That that card is definitely warping the format in super weird ways, and it there's there's no real blue black deck that runs it. It's all crazy decks of other colors that are just tossing in one or two more colors to play the Scarab God, which is a remarkable testament to how powerful it is. We, and and nobody, it's funny how it like took a week or two before people were like, oh yeah, this card. Yeah, right. Yeah, I remember. I, I like I'm remembering back to when you know we were testing out some teamer lists back when scarab god was like just printed right and me and my teammates we were talking about it and we were like yeah i was playing as this teamer guy and they just played a scarab god and i lost and i was like oh okay somebody might be on something <laughs> here and now that's just like you know kind of like half of the format so right. uh makes a lot of sense format warping for sure you're either playing scarab god or you're playing confiscation coup to steal your opponent's scarab gods yeah, yeah, there's no other option. You are doing one of those two things. You're you're either calculating for your opponent's Scarab God or you're just saying Druid and running your own. Right. Yeah, and I guess I, I just said that, you know, there's no blue-black decks, but just scrolling through, uh, Jabberwocky did 5-0 with the blue-black mid-range deck, which I think is in a really good spot right now, and I'm, I'm actually excited to, to see him... Uh, of course, this deck runs the full four Scarab Gods main deck, but this is like the Glintsleaf Siphoner, Kitesail Freebooter, Chartacorse deck. Uh, this deck's really cool. I, I'm a huge fan of this thing. So Jabberwocky in general has been having uh, pretty good success with that blue-black mid-range deck. I've definitely played against him a couple of times on Magic Online, and he knows he, he knows that deck very, very well and kind of like knows the plans associated with it. So he's been doing very well with it. Um, I also saw... Ben Friedman playing it at the Grand Prix, so it's you know, uh, people love playing their Jabberwocky decks. He's uh, he's an innovator for sure. Yeah, and this this has some cool tools. Um, like Gifted Etherborn's in a really good spot right now since it's it's very good against both the red decks and the teamer decks. I, I mean, Bristling Hydra is real bad against Gifted Etherborn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, Gifted Etherborn is just one of those cards that is just. Every time somebody casts it, I'm just like, yeah, that's, you know, that's going to be good in, in a lot of matchups. You know, against Teamer, it hits Bristling Hydra. Against Red, it has Lifelink and is big enough to brawl. Definitely a good metagame call, I think, when playing that card. Right. And I think we are seeing a, a pretty significant reduction in the number of, like, Search for Azkanta blue control decks right now. So it's safer to play cards like this that are really anemic in that sort of matchup. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think that, you know, his, his deck kind of makes up for the fact that they're playing an anemic two-drop in those matchups by playing a lot of other cards that are, like, very high value in those matchups, like Freebooter and Siphoner and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, and casting Freebooter just feels so good, man. You feel so safe. Oh, you don't have to tell me, man. <laughs> I know, I know all about some yeah, Freebooters. This is preaching to the <laughs> choir. I, I, I get it, but, <laughs> you know, we haven't gotten to cast so many in standard, so. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, whenever whenever you get knowledge of your opponent's hand in standard, it feels like you're 
you're cheating a little bit because that's just not something that you see all the time. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Like you're not you're not trying to guess which half of their deck they drew or whatever at that point. Like you you know what their plan is going to be and you you play out your cards in the order that's that that lines up the best against that and it's just very very nice. But probably shouldn't be the way that too many games go if we want a healthy standard. So, yeah. you know, like Thoughtseize is a, is a bad card for standard. That should never be in standard, but you know, duress effects I think are okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, when when Thoughtseize was in standard, then there were definite archetypes in standard that existed because Thoughtseize was a card. Mono Black Devotion was just a Thoughtseize deck, and more recently, like Abzan Aggro was just a Thoughtseize deck, and a lot of other, these other decks that kind of existed that with just kind of like menial plans, but playing four Thoughtseizes and and being able to crush people because of that. Right. Your deck could just have super glaring weaknesses, but you could just say, well, in some percentage of those matchups, I will draw my Thoughtseize, take the card that I'm cold to, and not have to worry about it. And that would just make the deck that probably shouldn't have been viable into a super viable deck. Yeah, I remember at one of the first Invitationals that I played at, I ended up playing Jeskai Ascendancy combo, just like kind of like mm. the all-in combo version of that deck in Standard. And yeah. I remember just like playing against some like Abzan mid-range deck and post-board he just had like four duresses and four thought season i was just like oh, come on man <laughs> like it's a standard we're supposed to be free from this <laughs> yeah and you had you had creatures in that deck too because that's just guy ascendancy so thought season is just the gnarliest thing in the world yes for that deck yeah. to deal with right um looks like we got another 5-0 mono white vampires so I guess the deck's not quite as dead on arrival as I kind of was thinking it might be. Um, um, after that, I've played with it some. You know, I, th- I, I do think it was a good meta call for the Pro Tour, but it's just not something that I think stands up to the current metagame. I think that sure. the, the 5-0 lists that are popping out of this deck are more from a bunch of people liking it and playing it and... Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna stumble into some five O's if you're if you're playing yeah. any deck. Yeah, definitely. Um, but my with my experience with this deck, I've just I just haven't been impressed, unfortunately. Which is unfortunate because I I think it's sweet. It is really cool. I mean, so what has your experience been then? Like, what what what's happened to you when playing mono white vampires? So there are a lot of matchups that are like playing wrath effects or whatever that you can never beat. So like the approach decks are really really hard. And the Godfarer's Gift decks are just going to go over... Like, the Godfair, like the blue-white Godfarer's Gift deck is pretty much taking the same approach that you're taking and, like, you know, having a very powerful game plan that, like, goes late really well, but just doing it better. So you, you have a pretty tough time kind of, like, competing there. And then, like, the matchups that you're supposed to be super good against, like Teamer and Mono Red, still have access to things like the, the Raptor out of Mono Red just kind of like ends the game for you and teamer just has like you know some some really solid plans that you know sometimes your your draws are a little clunky and they're just often going to be very very consistent and you're just not going to be able to keep up with what they're doing yeah um, that's been my experience with yeah that sounds about right i i wonder if the correct you know if we get to a point where the deck is built such that it is doing what it's supposed to do against teamer and red and the main problem is getting gone over the top of. I'm wondering if the horse might not be the answer at some point. Oh yeah, the uh, the what is it? The crested sun mare. 
crested sunmaria maybe you know uh, i do love me a, a main deck authority of the consoles crested sunmaria deck that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking as maybe like a sideboard plan uh, you know like fumigate isn't so good if they still have two five fives after the fumigate like i, I don't know man just just thoughts right. thoughts yeah definitely some some room to explore a little bit yeah the silly probably time wasting thoughts um <laughs> oh yeah and one thing that i i do want to mention about like you're mentioning uh rampaging frostadon of red against the vampires tech um rampaging frostadon's like omnipresence in the good builds of red right now i think is a real reason to mm, be very careful when trying to play the thopter deck because that can be a real liability if they play a rampaging frost on and all of your creatures are two or three creatures yeah and yeah the the the, the grixis thopter deck is definitely going to struggle with that unfortunately uh i wonder what kind of tools that you can have access to 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 help with that um other than just the generic red removal spells right i and it is a pretty removal heavy deck as it is and so maybe it's just a matter of being very aware of the cards that matter out of the red deck and you may be encouraged to chump block a little bit more instead of using removal spells on like regular creatures so that you can make sure to hit the Ferocidons if they do come out. Yeah, definitely. Um, or just, you know, as long as you know what the high value targets are, your your deck should be pretty good against the rest of their deck. So yeah, you should be able to clog up the board pretty well and kind of like make their creatures pretty anemic. And that allows you to save the removal spells that you do have for those super high value threats like the, uh, the Frostadon. Yeah, definitely. It just would be a shame if the presence of that card... I mean, and I'm, I I think... Frostadon is a, a healthy card for the format, and I, I think it's really important that Red does have access to it, and I like that it's here. But it would be a shame if the cool deck that's sort of built to have a good matchup against Red just straight up doesn't because of that card. That would be a little disappointing. Yeah, and I've actually noticed that that's just kind of like the resiliency that the Red has, right? Where so many of the cards that are built to be good against Red are pretty bad against Frostadon. That was actually something that I ran into when kind of like tinkering with my my Thopter, or not my Thopter, my uh, my Drakehaven cycling deck. I was like, okay, I really want some cards that, out of the sideboard that are just bombs against red. And I started listing them off and I started like thinking about how they interacted with Frostadon and they were all terrible. Uh, like things <laughs> like Authority of the Consoles, you don't get any life with Frostadon in play. If you play a Regal Caracol, then you're just taking three damage and... Uh, your dudes aren't going to be able to gain any life. You know, your Sun Scourge champions are just going to, Ugh, you know, you're just yeah. going to end up, you know, taking a damage and not, not gaining any life off of them, which is kind of like what the whole <laughs> idea is that you can gain. Like, <laughs> This isn't what life. I expected. <laughs> right, exactly. This is, I'm playing this to gain, uh, lose life. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that card is just such a, like, good resilient threat that makes everybody's, like, plan much worse against you which i think is a very powerful effect yeah yeah the card is just straight excellent and it, and that's exactly what i noticed when i first started playing it you know like i started sideboarding it in against teamer and trading out some of the on crop crashers and i noticed like okay so this card is not quite as high on raw power level and some matches i would rather have the crasher but that's because they didn't draw their cards that were good against me and so i won the game anyways but if they did draw their cards that were good against me, having the Ferocidon in play makes those games winnable instead of just completely out of control. Yeah, 
Uh, Definitely. Yeah, card is really good. Yeah, so, you know, for us, um, it's, it's kind of like one of those checks and balances, I guess, in uh, in standard that exists right now. Yep. Yep, completely agree. Um, yeah, so is there anything else that you want to talk about standard for? I think that we covered a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff. Talked a lot about teamer. No, I, I think that's that's pretty much what I wanted to talk about. I mean, standard is pretty interesting right now. Like, this stuff is very cool, like, watching these developments happen. So, I, I'll, you know... I guess we've got a, a team event, so it'll be a little tougher to see what, you know, how the format is continues to shake out next week. But I still am looking forward to seeing this develop. Yeah, I'm, I'm super hyped about this team event this coming weekend. I'm teaming with Todd Stevens and Jody Keith, the two oh, of, the, really? of the three champions from, from the last team event. So very excited. Wow. Okay, that's pretty awesome. So I so I assume Jody Keith's playing lands and legacy. Todd Stevens playing something in modern. Uh, Todd and you're Stevens trying to figure out standard. is just really good at uh, making a modern metagame call. So I'm gonna trust him to be able to do that this time. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna be playing some standard. Cool, man. Well, that'll be awesome. I mean, <laughs> that's that's good news for listeners that want to see you on camera because being on that team. Probably gets you on camera pretty much early and often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but I, I do know that there are going to be some some pretty heavy hitters this weekend. I think Brad Nelson, BBD, and somebody else who's very famous is going to be on a team. Um, <laughs> I've heard rumors on Twitter that PGO is going to be there. Yeah, I think I think Owen was hinting at that. So Dylan Donegan, Oliver Chu, and Noah Walker are all going to be on a team. So, oh, that's a nice you know, team. There, there are definitely yeah. going to be some some pretty insane teams out there. Yeah, and it's really cool to see like these guys that are legacy specialists get to like the the legacy opens are cool and and fun to watch, but it, it it's a little bit of a different world kind of. But it's cool to see in in the team tournaments like these legacy specialists get to show up and like like Dylan is great at every format, but to get to watch him play legacy next to standard and modern is really cool. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Very, very sweet. So I'm very excited. And, you know, I think that one of the keys to having success is actually kind of doing what you talked about a little bit and finding a legacy specialist to have on your team is just such a powerful tool that you can have. So like the Jody Keiths of the world, the uh, the Dylan Donigans of the world, the David Longs of the world, the <laughs> Caleb Shares of the world. I think that those teams are all going to have like super, super high success rate because of the players that specialize in that format that a lot of like magic pro grinders these days just like aren't as in touch to as you know they have in the past at some point so yeah yeah definitely i think the legacy specialist is kind of a dying breed so if you manage to uh capture one of those and uh, <laughs> play for you then <laughs> right yeah so i'm very excited to be teaming with jody I'm, I'm very confident i think that he is easily top three lands players in the world so i'm pretty excited about that yeah I would be too. That sounds awesome. I'll, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, so kind of on a similar note, I thought that we would do kind of... So this is kind of a weird topic uh, to go into, but I think it's actually pretty important. So if you don't mind, I, I figured we'd spend a little time just kind of updating people on kind of what's going on for you in your magic career. Because you've made some steps... Um, you've made some moves since we started this podcast, and things are going pretty well for you. Uh, and I kind of think most of your contact with whether it's high-level Magic pros or high-level Magic grinders who are um, doing cool things in Magic, 
Um, you see some of the content they put out, you might watch a video or two, you might read an article, but you don't totally get a sense of what is going on behind the scenes or how those things are developing. So I thought it'd be cool to just sort of talk about, you know, what's been going on with you and, and how things have happened, if, if that's cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I guess I'll just kind of like go over those like couple of things that have been happening for me. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, one of the biggest ones has been this podcast. I think that this podcast has, you know, blown up a little bit and I've been getting a lot of recognition through this just like at Grand Prix. It's funny, we have, uh, we have the banner of our podcast, I think, is the photo of Jeremy and I. So um, yes. <laughs> in Atlanta, Jeremy and I were just like kind of sitting across from each other and playtesting and we had somebody come up to us and be like, hey, are you, are you the Grindcast guys? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's me. But uh, CCR, unfortunately, is in Germany. <laughs> so Right. Unfortunately, but, we uh, don't have a banner picture that would be the two of us, which is probably more appropriate, but we'll have to find something eventually. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that photo that we've got up there is great, but... Um, it's a good photo. You know, so this podcast, I think, was definitely something that, um, you know, inspired me to just, like, put myself out there, right? So that's definitely, like, a big step. The other, like, kind of big thing for me that happened after... So I, when I top-aided Grand Prix DC, Star City Games got in touch with me and they said, hey, we want you to write an article about your Mm -hmm. deck. And I did that and it went over pretty well. And then I had the whole humans fiasco with uh fiasco it's a good word for it um (laughs) yeah i don't know what happened there man i just it was crazy uh you know they reached out to me again they're like hey we want you to write an article about your humans experience and i did and it went really well and then kind of after that um you know danny west got in touch with me and he was like hey i uh you know what do you think about writing just like a weekly column for starcy games and i was like great that's kind of something that i always wanted to do a little bit so yeah so that's kind of one of the things that's happened for me that's been pretty good for like my magic career is to you know now i'm a writer on a on a pretty good website which just kind of like it's my voice out there which which means a lot to me um yeah yeah i mean that's huge that's super cool so what are you that i mean for those who haven't like seen your articles yet um what what's your kind of approach to your column right now what are you trying to do with it currently uh it's just kind of been i've been writing about what's been on my mind lately the uh, the first couple of articles that I wrote were about the the decks that I've been playing. I, you know, I was playing some some pretty crazy out there decks and kind of like was able to do like a, a little bit of a primer on those with uh, the green white approach deck and the uh, the humans deck. Um, but then after that, I kind of had some articles on just kind of general philosophy that I have in Magic. Two weeks ago, I wrote about my philosophy on deck selection and how Mm -hmm. I kind of just like described the approach that I take to determining the decks that I'm going to play at a premier event. And I think that my approach is definitely maybe like a unique perspective that a lot of people might not have. So I thought that that was probably something that interesting that I wanted to put out there. Yeah. And your, your approach definitely leads you to some decks that uh, other people might not choose in those situations. So, right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I thought that that, you know, might have a target audience and people would want to hear about that at least. And then the article that actually went up today about a philosophy that I've uh, about just like playing magic with a plan that I've developed very recently. Um, I talked a little bit about how you like, you know, everybody knows about kind of like the learning curve that magic players go through when they're learning how to play magic and really want to get competitive, right? Uh, a part of that is, that everybody kind of knows about a little bit is 
plateauing. So many players play a lot of Grand Prix and are want to get better, but they everybody feels like they hit a plateau at some point. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I definitely have experienced that a lot. And I felt like I kind of like had a eureka moment that helped me break through one of those plateaus. So I wanted to write about that kind of like the the realizations that I had that kind of like led me to feel like I was playing at a at a better level than I had been for a long time. And that was having a plan and using that plan to influence your decisions in magic. So if you want to know more about that, I definitely recommend checking that out article out um, on sarsegames.com. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so you are kind of doing this, I mean, not even kind of, like you're doing this full time, right? Like this is this is your focus right now. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I don't have a day job. I'm just playing magic, um, writing articles, doing this podcast, and uh, kind of doing all that. Uh, the next step for me is actually I'm trying to get into streaming a little bit. Cool. I did a stream last week, just kind of, you know, out of the blue, decided to do it up because uh, we were setting it up and talking about it and got like 200 viewers and that was really awesome that's really cool that's a lot kind of like a first time stream just throwing it together yeah so yeah i think that that's something that i you know i'm i'm gonna try to focus on you know maybe potentially making a schedule for that um i've heard Mm -hmm. that you know if you want success in streaming you have to have a consistent schedule that you stick to so that you develop a kind of a sort of base that comes in and and watches you so i think that kind of like the next thing that i'm going to be looking into is streaming more and uh, actually, while we were just talking about the Grixis Thopter deck, I was like, hey, wouldn't it, it would be kind of cool to stream later today with that Grixis Thopter deck. And I'm, I'm actually considering yeah. doing that. So I think that could be some fun for sure. Yeah, that's a cool part. Sort of the combination that really gets me. If I go to Twitch to see if there's anything interesting going on and there's a player I know is good playing a deck that I think is interesting or neat or haven't seen, like that's how you get me to click on your stream. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You know, for not sure. about it. Yeah, like if I'm if I'm just kind of like perusing. Uh, for me personally, the things that I look for are similar to what you said, but like I really like specialists streaming the deck that they specialize in. So every time that that's Caleb Chair is streaming Storm, uh, I'm yep. I'm gonna hop in at least for a little bit, right? Because yeah, I think that that's just like a, such a insane resource to watch a like a Storm specialist streaming the deck that they're specializing in and just kind of like talking through the thought process. I think that if you, like, particularly if you are a player who plays Storm in either Legacy or Modern, watching that is just such an enormous resource for you. So, you know, I, I streamed with humans the first time, and I think that I got a lot of viewership because of that. But I yeah. do think that, yeah, just like playing some crazy decks or something that I've been, like, thinking about is uh, is definitely, like, a, a market that I can hit pretty hard. So, Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, let's see, what else? You're, you're still on Team Lotus Box. Uh, yeah. Anything new going on with that? I know you guys, I, I guess it's been a while since we've talked about this. So we've, we've gained a lot of viewers since we've talked about sort of your testing process or got a lot of listeners since we talked about your testing process with them. So do you want to talk about just yeah, what I being mean, on so, the team is like? Right. Like working with Team Lotus Box is, is very insane. Just kind of like for me and like the, the amount of resources that puts me into, like whenever we test for an event, we all hop on to like Google Hangouts or some sort of like, you know, video sharing service where we can uh, we have a bunch of people sharing their screen playing magic online at the same time and particularly for like newer formats that just like gives us so much information happening at once and it's sometimes it's a little crazy 
where we've got like you know four different matches happening at the same time so you can kind of like hop into whoever you you know whatever deck is you're finding interesting in the moment um you can hop in and watch one of us play or whatever or you know if you're playing a deck and sharing it you can also be watching other players you know play just to kind of give you a feel for what formats look like or something like that but yeah generally with you know with lotus box there's just kind of always going to be some people available to like hop in in a group chat with you and play a deck with you sometimes it's just like you know one or two players on the team that are available at that time to just be able to like talk through a bunch of stuff for that so definitely an awesome uh awesome resource that i have access to yeah and that's it's mostly like more casual than you know you're not like assigning decks to people yeah, and making right. sure that the um the other thing that i think that makes our team work really well is that we're all pretty close friends at this point right which mm-hmm. this isn't like you know we're not like some team that like has to sit down and and you know focus 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 you know we're just like a bunch of friends who like hanging out with each other and are all pretty high level magic players so we get to talk about magic in the right way you know we have the we have the ability to you know talk some serious strategy but at the same time you know we enjoy hanging out with each other so we're excited to hop on the group chats and and talk to each other and see how each other's doing and make fun of each other and crack jokes and all this other stuff it's it's definitely a more casual environment than I think a lot of people might envision when they're thinking about, like, you know, uh, teams testing for stuff. Um, yeah. Just having fun. And I think that that's probably, you know, uh, one of the one of the good things about our team, for sure. Yeah, and how awful would it be if you weren't having fun <laughs> practicing playing yeah. Magic? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's just something that I know about myself, is that I love investing a lot of time into something that I enjoy passionately, and that's why I'm doing this thing for Magic, is that I... It's so hard for me to do something without feeling that drive and desire to, you know, put my all into it, right? So uh, that's kind of like why I'm so involved in this game and, and why I've kind of like chosen it to be my my career path or whatever. Um, is that, you know, I love it. So, uh, you know, being on a team that kind of like shares that mentality of just kind of loving the game and, and wanting to be part of something that they enjoy is uh, priceless. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and I'm I'm super glad that things are just kind of going real well for you. Like that's, I mean, you know, you've had your individual tournament success, but I, I think you're doing a good job of uh, going outside of just winning tournaments and and kind of. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I I'm also just kind of like blown away by all the things that have been happening in the past. Couple <laughs> of it's it's been really insane to to see like you know just the pieces coming together and. I do recognize that, you know, if, if I want to do this for a living, like relying on, um, you know, just like tournament income to live off of is just impossible. Um, yes. You know, yeah. you're, you're going to have cold streaks. You're going to not, you know, do well in tournaments for a while. So you really have to dig into kind of like the rest of what magic can offer it from like a, a, a content producer's perspective of uh, writing articles and being on a team that is sponsoring you and, you know, helping you out to show up to events and all that stuff, you know, putting your name out there and your voice with like podcasts and articles and hopefully streaming soon. So yeah, it's been, it's been pretty insane. Yeah. Well, I hope, you know, nowhere to go from here except forward and then <laughs> yeah. you're on the right track. So right. yeah, my, yeah, my, my moving forward philosophy is just, uh, all right, I guess, you know, we'll see where this takes me because, uh, you know, that's kind of like what my mentality has been kind of, you know, going into it all. And 
there's so many people around me that have helped me out doing what I'm trying to do, and I just couldn't be more thankful for everybody. So, um, I yeah, it's it's just it's been really great. Yeah, solid attitude. I somehow you know winning those tournaments. You know, maybe you should be super arrogant right now, but I guess <laughs> you've somehow maintained a level of humility that, um, you know. No, I mean, I, I do want to just talk about, like, all the people that, like, I don't I don't have a magic collection, really. I mainly borrow cards from, like, people that are local here. So, mm-hmm. you know, if we're, if we're talking about that, then, you know, a huge shout out to all the friends who have lent me things. There are just so many here. Uh, you know, Josh Alexander, my old roommate, is a huge help. Wit has <laughs> lent me his the humans deck that I've been playing with. Elliot Darrow has given me so much standard cards to play with over the course of the weekend. No matter how crazy my deck is, he somehow ha- happens to <laughs> have all the things that I'm looking for. Um, yeah, in a in a completely unsorted assemblage of cards that take forever to go through, but they're there. I mean, well, you know, I'm like, all right, Elliot, here are the cards I'm looking for, and he's like, all right, and he pulls out this giant box and he starts, you know, throwing things <laughs> on the table, and I'm like, okay, we've got this and this and this, and it's just. It's crazy, but yeah, I honestly, I just, I, I wouldn't be able to be doing the things that I'm doing without the, the, the help of all the people around me. So, uh, yeah, it, yeah, I, I do want to give a shout out to all those people. Um, yeah, and it's, it's amazing how much you like. I, I obviously really appreciated it, appreciated it every individual time somebody lent me a couple of cards, but like out here in Germany, like I've skipped a couple of PPTQs because I've been, I, I've realized that like, well, I can't really play the 75 that I want to play. There's not time to get the cards shipped to me that I need. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm just not going to be running the right deck. So why am I going to go do an hour and a half of traveling total for this PPTQ that I don't feel confident about? Uh, and if I just had a couple of people around, that would be no problem. So it's, it's a huge difference maker for sure. Yeah, right. And right. It's, you know, when I say I wouldn't be able to do this without that, I think that a lot of, you know, I know that a lot of people are kind of like want to be doing the things that I'm doing, but just don't have those resources. So I'm I'm super grateful for for all the people around me that are that are willing to help me out. Yeah. It's just not not something that everybody has access to. So I feel very lucky. Well, being lucky is part of magic. Be good, be lucky, and and hopefully things will work out. (laughs) Yeah. Tips for tips for playing a lot of magic i guess (laughs) yeah well i think that's a pretty good update uh anything else that that you think is worth talking about i don't know i think that those are kind of the main things yeah i i did not know that this weekend uh you're gonna be with jody keith and todd stevens that's really cool i'm super looking forward to that yeah same well yeah we've been we've been brainstorming a lot about you know what we're doing so we're we're gonna be coming in with a plan and trying to get that second trophy for these guys (laughs) yeah yeah awesome well i will be watching you know as much as i can i'll probably fall asleep towards the end of each day (laughs) of course yeah (laughs) i know how it is yeah yep uh best of luck with that yeah i don't really have anything else for this episode unless you got anything particularly cool to talk about that's probably a good wrap i think that we covered a lot of good stuff awesome um yeah thanks to everybody for listening I, I know I always thank the listeners, but honestly, like, it is really cool to have people tune in. Please feel free to tweet us anything. I, we'd love to answer questions. Uh, anything, like, particularly interesting we would love to talk about on the show. Uh, so you can reach the podcast at, at MTG underscore Grindcast, or you can reach Collins at his Twitter. At Collins Bullet. And, you know, check out his articles. Maybe go yeah. see if he's streaming. I, I am following, I'm following you, but it's never uh, dinged me to let you know, let me know that you are on. So, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. 
Let's, uh, let's get on. Hopefully let's... we can fix that and, and get on more often for sure. Awesome. Cool. Good deal. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. We will see you guys next time. All right. Peace.